a husband and his wife, living off the grid, encounter an interesting man with a strange story to tell, of things that follow him in the trees. At first, they don't believe his ramblings, but soon, they're forced to reevaluate their misgivings. Welcome to Outdoor Terrace, the show where I regale you with real people's purportedly true stories of the terrifying things they've encountered in the world beyond your front door. If you have a story of your own to share, send it to me at eeriecast.com forward slash outdoor, where we pay you three cents per word. And stop by eeriecast.com if you want to hear more scary stories from our team. If you like what you hear, leave Outdoor Terrors a rating and review on Spotify and Apple. Thank you. Now get warm and cozy, skewer a s'more or a wiener, burn it over the fire whilst I get ready to tell you our first tale. A Friend in the Forest by Valhalla Viking I was living off the grid on an 80-acre property in the Cascade Mountain Range of Washington State. Life was good. I was living the dream with me and my wife. My brother raised chickens and ducks and turkeys and had a small garden mostly consisting of Mary Jane and food plants for the animals, as I am a full-on carnivore. We rented the property and there was one other renter on the land down a trail along the marsh that leads out to the lake. He was a hippie. We got along fine for a while, but the longer we knew him, the more he tried to take advantage and trespass onto our section of land. As time went on, he began building what seemed to be a commune of sorts, as he would bring out strange homeless travelers and let them stay with him in exchange for help building and gardening his area. Some of his visitors seemed like good enough people, but some, you could tell, had issues. We lived like this for a year or so before my brother moved out to live with his girlfriend. Now it was just me and my wife and the hippies. It seemed like he had a new group of people every week. Then one night there was a big party down in the shared area near the main gate to the property. I decided to hang out there for a bit. There was about twenty people passing bongs and bottles of homemade mead and mushroom tea. There was even a little group of street musicians playing songs from the Grateful Dead. At this party, I heard stories that were borderline unbelievable. Most of these guys got here by hitchhiking and hopping trains, and were very open about telling stories of crimes they'd committed. It was here I met a man named Forrest. He was of native descent. He just came to Washington from California and had crazy stories about seeing what he would refer to as aliens following him. He described them as thin, tall, gray creatures that would leap into the trees and make clicking sounds, sometimes even mimicking human voices. He claimed they had followed him from California, and they were now on my property. We were all pretty loaded, so I just put it off as the guy on a weird trip. After that night, I started to spend a lot of time with Forrest. He was a good guy, and very helpful. Rather than him helping the hippies, he kind of became my help, and I talked to the landlord about him taking his own spot in the woods. The landlord agreed, and we spent some time finding a good area for him to clear and start building shelter. 
During this time, I started having animals go missing. Not just one or two chickens, but within two weeks, I had lost 25 chickens and 15 ducks. It wasn't strange to lose an animal or two from time to time, but this was almost a nightly occurrence. My wife was pregnant at this point, and the winter was coming fast. Forrest was sleeping under a tarp with pallets as walls. Deep within the property, me and my wife had a fifth-wheeled trailer with heat and a generator for power. We offered him to stay with us as the weather became unbearable, but he denied. I would spend some time with him at his spot, smoking and listening to his stories. He told me that a lot of homeless people actually ate people. I thought it was a joke at first, but you could see the seriousness in his eyes. I had to ask, Have you ever eaten a person? He never said yes, but he had a look of regret and shame that told me he had. It was especially harsh that winter. We were all pretty low on food and hungry. Just before the first snow fell, Forrest got himself a car. Nothing that would get him around in the winter, but it was a place he could sleep and run the heater in. He was also armed with a 12-gauge shotgun, and I would hear shots ringing out in the distance from time to time. Once our child was born, we were very busy and saw Forrest less often, bringing him food from time to time, as he was in pretty bad shape, losing sleep, because he said he was being stalked at night by the grey creature clicking in the trees. I indulged him, and we spent some time searching for signs of the creature, and building up a better wall system as a sort of security. But I never believed in much. I just wanted to give him some peace of mind. The next few times I went to go check on him, he wasn't there. I didn't think much of it, I just assumed he was out hunting. Until one day, me and my wife drove the trail to the back field, and we parked, hiking up to his spot. Nothing had changed. Everything looked the same. His blanket was in the same position in the corner. His pots and pans began molding. His propane tank was just as full as the last time I had seen it. And I was normally his ride into town for supplies. We checked his car, the keys sitting in the ignition, and his 12-gauge sitting in the passenger seat. I knew something was not right. He wouldn't have left these items behind, and he had become a great friend so I refused to believe he would just leave and not say goodbye. That's when I heard my wife scream. I ran frantically over to see what was wrong, and there was the head of a dog on the ground, its face chewed up and missing an eye, as well as the end of its nose, and the body was nowhere to be found. I've seen similar kills to that before, and was pretty sure a mountain lion was the culprit. They tend to leave their heads behind. It was getting dark at this point, and I was concerned about a big cat on the prowl. So I got my wife and baby in the trunk, and we pulled out. It was a rough trail, and under the cover of the trees it was pitch black. Nothing but the halogen lights on the old Suburban lighting the way. I crept through the trail, me and my wife looking off into the sides, searching for any sign of forest or the cougar. Again, my wife screams and points to the left side of the trail. There I saw it. Not a mountain lion at all. This was a tall, thin, grey creature, crouched in the woods just off the trail. 
It was human-like, but had long arms and was crouched in an almost frog-like position. I put my spotlight out the window at it, and it leaped into the trees. Amazed and terrified, I put my foot to the floor. It was about a five-minute drive back to our spot. We went inside, locked the trailer, and covered the windows. We stayed up all night talking, convinced this thing did something to our friend Forrest. He wasn't crazy or drugged up at all. What he said followed him was real. Not long after, that hippie moved. I never found out why. But I assume it was because he had his own experience. Now it was just me, my wife, and baby. Still animals would go missing from time to time. My wife refused to go out at night, and the property just felt wrong, like you were always being watched. We stayed another six months and didn't see anything like that until my landlord died and we were forced to leave the land. I still keep an eye on the land. It's been up for sale for a few times, but no one stays long. At this point, it's been years since anyone has lived out there. For a long time, we were unsure of what it was that night. but thought for sure it had something to do with the disappearance of Forrest. One night, we were watching videos on YouTube about creatures in the woods, and there it was exactly what we saw. The thin, tall, grey creature with long arms. The video said it was a wendigo. After researching the Wendigo, our minds exploded. Forrest was of native descent. We were almost sure he had partaken in cannibalism at some point in his life. And that winter was cold, and he was very hungry. At this point, we're convinced that we saw him that night. He was the Wendigo. I no longer think that this creature took him. I feel like that creature was him. The Ice in the Bush by Dragon TM When I was about ten years old, I was living in Illinois with my family. I had lived there my whole life to that point. I was a fairly normal kid, below average height, smart, had friends, everything. I was in Boy Scouts at the time, and loved being outdoors with everyone in my troop. The summer of 2014 will always stay with me, though. Because yes, not only was it incredible fun, but it would also be the turning point in whether I believed in the supernatural or not. The campout itself was about a week in length and endless in fun. There were plenty of activities and lessons we could do to pass the time, and games we could play in between classes, or whenever we couldn't sleep. The first three days were extremely normal. Classes were boring, but interesting, and the nights were full of dreams of home. Since at the time I was feeling homesick. At the morning of the fourth day, though, we had a rough start to our day, as one of our leaders had a massive brown recluse spider on his tent. He'd gotten out before it was on his door, but we didn't like it being there for all the obvious reasons. After that, the day progressed with no hassle. It was normal just like any other day. When night started to fall, though, 
my troop and I, decided that us boys would stay up late and play some games like Magic the Gathering or even poker. Wanting to have some more fun, I of course agreed and stayed up almost all night with them. The hours passed by, and I was learning to play magic. But when it was getting to about three in the morning, things had gone eerily quiet. For reference, we had a picnic table we were sitting at with a propane lantern lighting up a six to seven foot area in a circle. There were about seven of us in the troop. And we're all just being idiots and being a little loud, drowning out the quietness of the forest, making it incredibly hard to tell if the noise was animals or something else. During one of those moments where we quieted down, though, we had all noticed everything was silent. We didn't think anything of it until one of the boys next to me pointed to a bush that was anywhere between 14 to 20 feet away. The exact distance isn't important, though. But from the bush, we saw a pair of amber eyes looking at us. Some of the other boys looked and stayed silent like the forest itself. The other boys didn't care, just wanted to have fun. I was one of the boys who looked, and the eyes scared me to death. The eyes seemed to draw closer, and all of us inched closer to the circle of light from the lantern we had but had stopped just outside the ambient glow, making it entirely impossible to see any features except for the eyes. Minutes dragged on as they started to recede back into the bush, until they disappeared into the night. Slowly the sounds of the forest had come back, and so did our fun. But that died down as well as we wanted to go back to bed. I still remember this day vividly, and I'd only recently realized, if any of us had wandered off on our own, we probably would not have been seen again. That experience is now nearly ten years old for me, and I still get a chill down my spine when I remember it. For the longest time, I had forgotten this experience, as I blocked it out of my mind, not wanting to relive the terror. The only reason why I remember it now is because my father told me a story of something similar happening to one of his missionary friends back in the 80s. This story doesn't take place in the forest, but it does have a similar creature to what I believe I had seen. In the story, my father wasn't part of it, but he still swears by its authenticity. These missionaries were going door to door knocking and hoping to find people they could spread the good word to and hopefully have them learn something they probably didn't before. The pair knocked on one door that belonged to a Native American man. He welcomed them in, and they started their lesson, and it lasted for about an hour. After the lesson, they said a prayer, and the Native man shooed them out of his home rather quickly. They brushed it off and continued on. Night had came quickly, and the pair went back to their camper trailer to rest and pray for an uneventful night. Before they could start the prayer, though, they heard footsteps outside. They thought it was an animal of some sort, and let it be. The steps drew closer, and had jumped onto the roof of the camper. The pair then got worried and had grabbed their gun. At the time, the missionaries were allowed to have weapons on them. The steps grew frantic, trying to get in. Not wanting to risk anything else, the missionary with the gun aimed at the sound and shot, hitting the believed animal and making it run off. The pair had a rather sleepless night after that. 
but were able to get some rest. The morning came and they got dressed and went out to spread their word once more. They'd come back to the Native American man's home and knocked on the door, and to their surprise it opened for them revealing the man that had a gunshot wound in his abdomen. When they inquired, he only said it was a hunting accident. They were skeptical, but accepted his explanation, and asked if they could have another lesson with him. He declined and promptly closed the door. That is where the story ends, but it's very interesting for me because when I first heard it, it reminded me of our camp and the eyes. I believe that what I experienced and what the missionaries had experienced was a skinwalker or something like it. I can't say for certain, but I'm just glad I'm here to at least share the story, if nothing else. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Las Brujas de México by El Shanek. As a quick setting, this takes place in La Pataca, which is a rural little area just south of Monterrey in Mexico. From here on out, I will tell the story as close to word per word, as my grandmother told me and my brother to keep it as authentic as possible. This is translated from Spanish. When I was a little girl, we always had legends of the witches in the wild. Don't go out alone. Don't stay out so late at night. If you do, as brujas will come and take you away. My mama would tell me and Armando these things every day. Mama would not let me or Armando go anywhere unless it was both of us. And the furthest we could go was a little store one mile away where we had to get groceries. We were not well off with money, so we had to walk everywhere. When Armando and I got done working on the fields, Mama would let us play until it was night time, 
Sometimes we would play tag with our friends. Sometimes Papa would chase us around or take us exploring in the woods. The exploring was fun because we got to see animals. But we also saw the little old huts where Las Brujas lived in. Everyone called them Las Brujas because they were weird and would consistently try to do black magic and talk to themselves. One day Armando and I were playing alone because Papa was tired from working on the field all day and Mama had to make supper. We went to the woods and started to explore, but we went too deep and ended up getting lost. I cried and cried because I wanted Mama, but nobody heard us, so we kept walking around. After a little bit, an old lady heard us and said she would help us. No! You are a bruja and you're going to take us away! yelled Armando. No, no, mijo. I know where your mommy and papi are, she said. I cried more and told Armando I wanted to go home, so he gave up and told the lady to help us. Okay, follow me. After a while, she took us to a house we did not know, but said Mama and Papa were inside, so we went in. Without thinking, we went in, and the lady suddenly grabs us and carries us screaming to another room. She threw us in and locked the door. Armando kept banging on it, yelling to let us go, and I cried and cried. It was quiet, but I thought I heard her keep saying, Gloria a Dios que me has dado sangre de Dios inocentes, que con esto puedo usarlos para venganza contra los perros que me han hecho mal en el pasado. Amen. I do not remember exactly how much time passed, but I remember lying on the ground because I was tired after crying for so long. According to Papa, we were not home, so he went around town looking for us until he came into the woods to look. He said he stopped at the house we were at because something, maybe God, told me to look there. When Papa called out to the house inside, the Bruja kept yelling at him to go away. But he said he heard Armando, so he broke inside and looked around. He found us and said he heard banging, which showed him where we were. When he found us, he hugged us and took us away, informing the Bruja that if he ever saw her near our house or kids again, he would kill her. Mama was crying so hard when we saw her that it made me cry again too. Papa yelled at us for being so dumb and going off so far, and Armando just looked at the floor. After that, Mama did not let us go out anymore without her or Papa until we were teenagers. Every day I thank God for not letting me and Armando get into more danger that day. I do not know what the Bruja wanted to do with us, but I do not want to know either. And for those of you that don't speak Spanish and were wondering what she said, it translates to, Glory to God for giving me the blood of these two innocents which I can use for revenge on those that did me wrong before. Here's my second personal experience. Through my younger years, around seven to twelve, my mother dated a guy very on and off, which I think mostly had to do with him being in the army and staying with his family in Laredo, Texas, whenever he was home. Either way, he invited us to visit his cousin's summer cabin in Monterey, Mexico for a weekend, 
so we did. The cabin was very ranch style, longer in one dimension and shorter in the other, so it was built like an architectural rectangle. On one far side of the building, think of this as an aerial view, was the kitchen and next to it was the living room. Attached to the living room was a long, slender hallway connected to the bedrooms on each side and the bathroom on one of the sides. The backyard was only accessible through the living room via a sliding door, and what started as a bit of the desert floor met a forest, tree line of dead, dying Monterey cypress trees. Meeting the tree line was an elevated hunting tower which had its platform meeting the top of the vertical tree line. I'm prefacing my experience with the following information because I believed in being open-minded in every aspect and wanted to tell my story rather than sell my story. On our way to the cabin, my mum's friend was telling us about a cursed legend of the witches of Monterey. Apparently, they'd been haunting the mountainous area for generations and were his childhood versions of La Llorona. Clearly, he was trying to scare us from the get-go, and me being so young, I was eating this crap up like candy. We got to the cabin in the late evening, so we decided to stay in for the night and watch M. Night Shyamalan's The Lady in the Water. After the movie, my mum's boyfriend asked me to get something from the bedroom for him, and as I was halfway down the hallway, he turned the lights off on me. Let me remind you, this was a very rural part of Mexico, so the dark was dark. So with all the scary stories and the, at the time for me, scary movie, I was spooked and froze. My mom's boyfriend began to make your stereotypical ghost noises and taunted me to go deeper into the dark hallway, but I was so petrified I remember just standing there frozen in fear. Longer story short, my mother got to him and he turned the lights back on. They comforted me, and after a few apologies, we all went to bed. I can't remember how I slept that night, but I honestly wish I did. The next day, we did basic tourist crap. We went to a bazaar, embraced the city's beautiful mountain range, which seemed to hug the city, ate authentic Mexican food, and visited the main hub of the city. When the day was all done, we decided to call it and went back to the cabin. This is important to me because I remember the night before so vividly, yet can't remember anything else about this night other than what I'm about to write. I was in the living room of the cabin and remember my mom's boyfriend was there with me. He asked if I wanted to go up to the hunting tower out back with him and innocently I said yes. I remember following him through the back door of the living room and I remember him walking ahead and turning back to wave me towards him. I take it as he was trying to help me keep up with him and follow him. I watched him climb up the ladder of the hunting tower and then I heard a voice behind me. Hey! Where are you going? It was my mum's boyfriend behind me, asking where I was going and what I was doing. I turned back around to look at the hunting tower along the tree line, and no one was there. Nothing was. Not an animal, not my mother, not a spectre. Nothing. 
My grandfather used to be the equivalent of a ranger down in Mexico. He was in charge of patrolling the farms and lands mainly due to people growing marijuana. One day he said he was patrolling his ranch late at night shift, and he heard a baby crying. Now the land is pretty flat, so we looked all the way and saw nothing. Maybe some goats out in the far. They sounded like crying babies. As he was walking his route, he hears the same sound, looks up in the sky, and he swears he sees a witch, with black clothing and everything flying towards a mountain. He panicked, ran to his car, and drove off as fast as he could. Personally, I don't believe him, and my family thought he was high. Droned by Frederica W. I'm a long-time spooky story fanatic, and I would love to share one of my spookiest camping experience. Please keep in mind, this is one of my many personal experiences, so I will recall events as best as I can. The fear never leaves me, though. My husband and I have always been outdoor types of people. He loved to follow the gold, and I loved the road trip, and the idea of living off the grid to ease my many anxieties I have due to PTSD. We were eager to start up our own life together, but due to summertime fires caused by dry lightning, we found ourselves car camping in different areas to try and avoid people, so I might be able to feed our newborn in peace. Neither of us really have family, so we ended up having to sell our trailer to leave the forest that were now shut down due to the obvious safety reasons. There would be times we'd hunker down with bedding, as we had our van set up to be able to sleep in. But in those times, we were also vulnerable to the elements or other urban night drifters. Let me just say, car camping is not as safe as it would seem with locked doors and windows. Anyone can walk up on you from anywhere at any point in time. On one such trip we'd call business trips, we would literally drive to where the gold was and my husband would set to work, shifting through rock and dirt with a pickaxe and shovel while I either rested or fed our newborn in what I thought was the safety of a locked car. I found myself harassed. Now, since we were technically transient, our little van was all decked out with silver over the windows and foam boards so we could better stay warm during freezing nights. This did make us stick out like a sore thumb and people would assume the worst about us. It was definitely bothersome when people would walk past our parked vehicle and just stare at us especially when we would stop so I could feed our daughter, which is another reason for all the window coverings we had. Protection for mother and child. But as I've said up top, that didn't deter people away, but seemed to attract them to investigate us. Also, I feel I should mention we did a ton of road tripping for the gold, but this trip wasn't a business gold trip. It was winter here in the mountains, and we needed to evacuate to sleep in warmer tents. It was this unfortunate trip that I had been creeped up on. As I have stated above, and please forgive I repeat anything, my memory is terrible. We had stopped so my husband could clamber up the mountainside and sift through rock and dirt to uncover a quartz or gold vein. 
and I needed to feed our sweet baby girl. This is where it actually begins. I was safely cocooned in our covered van, snuggling with our baby, with two pitties in the back. We had stopped for gas on the way up the mountain, so we had already let the pumps do their business, so I could just worry about the baby when we stopped next. I was in the front passenger seat, with it laid all the way back, because, as stated, we had taken a set of the seats out of the middle row, so we could hunker down at night and the pups would have more room. Anyhow, I was cooing too and nursing our baby girl, and looked through the front windshield, watching my husband enjoy his time on the mountain, when our pups started whining. I sighed in annoyance because where we were, we couldn't just let them out. We're on a mountain highway. I tried to ignore them, as bad as that is, because I knew they had both done their stuff and had been fed, and because they also really loved my husband, I thought it was just them being anxious. I tried shushing, but of course their high-pitched whining and my grunts and huffs of frustration kept our little one from being able to nap. She, too, was wailing. I found myself stressed and not knowing what to do, as I didn't want to cut my husband's adventure short. I know how much the gold means to him. I did take note that we were parked under a very low-hanging pepper type of tree, so the next sound I heard, I thought was wasps. A nest buzzing with activity. Please keep in mind I pretty much had blinders on since all of our windows except the windshield was covered. I had gotten my baby girl relaunched to finish a milk session, and the pups had quieted down some once they realized I wasn't about to let them loose on the open mountain highway. But after only five or ten minutes had gone by, the pups started up again, and I began to think the buzzing of the wasp tree was aggravating their sensitive hearing. By this point, I was so annoyed and stressed and tired, I cracked open my door and called across the highway to my husband. I said that the pups seemed like they needed to go out again, but I wasn't comfortable with that because of the precariousness of where we were. At that time, I couldn't hear the buzzing, but I didn't think anything of it. However, after we decided it was almost time to seek lunch and a different gold hunting spot, the buzzing sound started up again, but became constant as I climbed through the front of the van to the back. Having an overactive imagination, I started to worry the wasps could land in our car and climb in through the vents, as I was still thinking we had parked under the wasp-infested tree. That was until I could hear a very slight and subtle pitch change. Growing annoyed again as all the littles had started settling down, I decided to stretch across the center console to pull a portion of fabric aside to see if I could see the nest of wasps. Unfortunately, that is not what I saw, and the subtle pitch change was because something was directly above our car. As I went to slide the fabric back over the window, the low buzzing sound had made the pups start whining again. And that's when I briefly saw a man standing by a white truck, holding a control of sorts in his hand. I placed the curtain back quickly. And this time I got out of the car and let my husband know we were all ready to head out, get some lunch, since I had already packed up our now sleeping little children. As I saw my husband come back down, he ran down, I could then hear the buzzing stop. The man with the remote was droning me whilst I fed our little one, 
all because our only housing was built to keep us warm on frigid snowy mountain nights. Some of us run to the forests for gold and sanctity, but the true urban night drifters, who are violent, also add to people's train of thought that we were bad people, up to no good. I'll end the story here, as there wasn't a lot that had happened, just a new mama's annoyance and having had my privacy thoroughly breached. You're not always going to be safe in a locked or tinted car, sadly. Also, nothing really came of the drone incident, but my husband did tell the poor dude to F off, or he might find the drone smashed. I felt bad, but I felt creeped out as well, as I solely breastfeed my child. If it hadn't been for the pup's constant whining, I don't know what would have happened if we stayed a minute longer. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Thing in My Neighborhood By Indy and Yukon I'll start this by explaining how my neighborhood looks. I live in a private community, one hour away from Skinwalker Ranch. There are only 35 full-time residents. The homes are small and spread out, each property with about five acres of woods. We live around the top of the neighborhood with the woods above us. The woods have no homes for miles other than our community. These were a series of events that took place over a year. My first encounter was with my cousin. We were exploring a torn down shack in the woods. We're walking around the shack and the woods surrounding it, starting to climb around the biodegrading wood that made up the shack. It was midsummer, so there were birds and bugs making noise. We saw a small part of the structure was still partially intact. Looking under it, we found a huge hole. The hole went around six feet underground. The structure caused a shadow to engulf the hole in the shade. I got my headlamp out and shined it into the hole. Peeking inside, I could see... Bones? There were probably three carcasses worth of bones. They were all smaller, not big enough to be a deer, and not small enough to be a rodent. I was examining the bones when my cousin tapped me on the shoulder. The bird stopped singing and there's something in the trees, she said under her breath. I got to my feet and held my breath, hoping to hear a noise. Crack! Something had stepped on a stick a few yards in front of us. I stepped back in surprise. My cousin gasped. Crack! Crack! Another two sounds came from the same area. I grabbed my cousin's hand, pulling her along beside me as I fled back to the house. We ran back for a while, hearing more cracks behind us. We made it back to the house and put the incident behind us. We were too young to understand what had happened, and too scared to find out more. The second encounter was months later. I was around nine and playing with my sister in our backyard. 
We were playing on the edge of the woods, pretending to camp out and survive. My sister was playing in the tent. I decided we needed some food from the house. I ran 50 yards from the tent into our accommodation. When I came back, my sister came in running, crying as she did so. I was in the tent and something came up and tapped on the side. It tapped with its fingernails and scratched it. I blew her off and told her I didn't believe her because she was five. Returned to the tent, her clinging to my right arm. The tent had been trashed. The table was flipped. Everything we had on it littering the floor. The tent was thrown ten feet from the campsite we'd laid it at. It had been scratched and torn by something. We ran back yelling for Mum. She came out trying to find out what we had done. I explained what had happened whilst my sister was crying. She didn't believe us. She told us to clean up the mess then get inside. We wearily walked back, hastily cleaning the wreckage, periodically pausing to listen for the surrounding woods. We cleaned up fast and ran back. The third encounter happened a few years later. I had forgotten about the previous encounters at the time. I was twelve when this story took place. My family and I were getting back from a night out. We got home and began to feed the dogs and cats. We have two dogs, one Benise Mountain Dog and one Husky Healer Mix. We also had two cats, one Old Tabby and one Young Orange Haired Mix. We let the cats outside during the day, calling them back in the evening. The tabby showed up, though we called and called but could not find the orange cat. It had gotten late, so we had to go to bed. We'll find her in the morning, my dad said to comfort me and my sister. The next morning we called her again and could not find her. Day after day we called her and called her. After about a week, we had to give up. I was walking my dog around two weeks after we had lost her. It was getting dark, so we cut through the woods. Then I stumbled upon the shack. The shack from years ago. Remembering what I had seen all those years ago, I knew what I had to do. I climbed over the wreckage, finding the hole. I used the phone on my light to look into it. I did not expect to find anything tried anyway. But there, there was the cat. She was dead. Her body was thrown into the hole, her blood and fur covering the bones and dirt on the inside. I jumped back and ran away home, holding back tears. I decided not to tell anyone about what I had saw. They would think I was crazy. I kept the knowledge of my cat to myself, deciding it would be better to put it behind me. The next encounter happened months after that one. I was fishing in a pond just a mile from my house. I managed to catch a fish. When I caught that fish, though, it was injured. It had a giant bloody gash which covered its side. I got the hook out and put the fish back in the water. It was too weak and injured to swim, unfortunately. It had bled out and died in the water. I caught it in a net and decided to bury it out of respect. I dug a hole and placed the fish inside. I buried the fish and placed several large rocks over the plant. I was packing up my rod and tackle. 
Then I heard something. It sounded like rocks grinding against each other. Then I heard a big bang and spun around to face it. The fish's grave was empty. The fish was gone, and the hole had been dug up. The rocks were moved and one thrown into the trees. I heard a branch breaking in the trees above the pond. I packed up and fled, driving home trying to comfort myself and figure out what had happened. I decided it was just a very quick raccoon. A raccoon that could throw a 15-pound rock several feet. Yeah, a raccoon. The last story was by far the scariest and the one that convinced me to write this. I was home alone. My mum and dad were on vacation and my sister was at a friend's house. I was in my bedroom doing some homework, planning on going to bed soon, when I heard a tap on the window. I paused and heard nothing more. I went over to the window and lifted the blinds to see even more nothing. It was snowing hard, and the lights from the house only went so far. I sat back down, beginning to watch my phone and mindlessly scroll through YouTube shorts. I heard my dog barking at something. You can tell what your dog is barking at by the sound of the bark. Like, a more aggressive bark means an animal or a person. Well, this was a very aggressive bark. She was going ballistic and running up the edge of the woods. I grabbed a flashlight and ran outside, shining the flashlight in the direction she was barking. There, in the woods, I saw a pair of eyes. These pair of eyes were yellow-red, eight feet off the ground. I froze, staring at them as they were scanning my dog. Then it stepped into the light. The creature was tall and lengthy. It had grey skin with patches of brown fur. It had a near-featureless face. It had a bald head. Two small holes in place of a nose. Small wrinkled ears and huge eyes. Worst of all, it had a huge toothy grin. And it was using that grin to smile at me. It was amused. It was laughing at my fear. Its head snapped back at my dog as she ran at it. She ran into the trees, and all of a sudden there was an eruption of barking and screaming. The thing screamed like a combination of an elk, mountain lion, and a woman. Then nothing. It was quiet. No barking. No screaming. No birds. Silence. I was frozen. Just staring, hoping my dog would come back. Then I saw something crawling out of the bushes. It was not my dog. It crawled out of the trees and onto the yard. Illuminated by my flashlight, I could see blood. It had blood on its face and hands. It shakily stood up and made eye contact with me again. It stared into my eyes, cold. Staring into my soul. It crawled back into the forest. I ran back inside, locked the doors, and collapsed. My dog was gone. That thing was here, and I was alone. I quickly realized I would have to spend the night alone. I had no protection, no family, no dog. I 
closed the shutters, locked every window, boarded up the door, and ran to my parents' bedroom. My parents' bedroom was the only room with a lock on the second floor. I locked myself in, turning on every light and collapsed. I'd been rethinking everything, putting every story together, thinking about different outcomes of the future and past. If I did not run all those other times, I would have died. If I did not step outside, my dog would be here. If I played my cards wrong, I would be next. I sat down at the foot of the bed, baseball bat in hand and tears streaming down my face. I was listening for anything. Tap. Tap. Two small taps came from downstairs. I could hear the thing crawling around the snow and tapping on the windows. It could not reach up here, right? I sat there, listening to the monster, keeping from drifting off to sleep. At first light, the tapping stopped. At around eight, I started to creep downstairs, quietly walking through the kitchen to the front door. I realized there were scratches on the windows and doors, and there were muddy handprints on the door. There were bloodstains in the snow, and my footprints. My footprints, my dogs, but not the creatures. I ventured off to where the creatures stood in the trees. There was fur and blood everywhere, and nothing more. I knew what had happened. I went back defeated and cried in my parents' room. My family got back that night. I explained that a bear had come into the property. What else could I say? I still haven't moved. I need to get out of this place. It's still out there, and it's still coming back. And I hear it yell every night. The Shadow Kid and the Abandoned Asylum by Sir Spookfest Hello, I'm Ryan and I grew up in Bridgewater Triangle, Massachusetts. It's a very haunted and paranormal area. So me and seven of my friends wanted to go to an old abandoned asylum in Taunton, Massachusetts called Paul A. Denver Asylum. There are tunnels running all underground of the asylum complex. Many buildings, old and abandoned. We only found one open window into a basement, so we climbed into the room, walked around down a flight of stairs into the pitch black tunnels, all whilst checking out some rooms. We walked around for about 45 minutes when we found a door with a light behind it. When we checked the door, we thought security was on the other side, so we started moving away from it, and away from the area entirely, until a sudden bright light hit us in the dark tunnels, so we ran away thinking it was security. It was not. The light disappeared when we ran off into a side room. In a type of garage, there were pipes and water lines running in all directions. There was also a ladder on one of the walls. So one of my friends crawled up, and down a small side tunnel, he said, he'd seen a bed with an indent of a person, maybe a homeless person. After that, we decided we'd had enough, and started looking for the window we came through. 
We found it, and as we were waiting for the first person, KC, to climb up and out, we all looked out of the window, which was at chest height. We saw a shadow of a kid standing outside. It all caused my girlfriend Sam to scream, so I put my hands up because I thought it was a security officer. It was not. A dark shadow kid standing in the tall grass just looked at us. No features. Just black. So dark we all knew it wasn't a person. Everyone was confused. We watched as he ran through the tall grass, the grass displacing as he moved through it. After three of us had gotten out of the window, we watched the shadow kid running there, still. There was an old boarded up building across the field that he ran straight into, right through the brick wall. He was gone. We all checked the building. There was no way in we could see. We knew it was a shadow person, but we all looked for around 20 minutes, being careful not to alert the security guards, but we didn't find anyone. So we all started talking. We discussed that it was maybe five or maybe four feet tall. Figured it was a shadow child. The fact that I can go on and ask my friends to this day about what they had seen, they'll give a similar story. It's great. Now that I'm 36, I was just worried. Maybe we'd all made it up. I was 17 at the time. I've had many other encounters with the paranormal, but that was my first full-body apparition. I've had a ghost voice in my ear and many other paranormal incidents. So, Paul A. Denver Asylum now has been turned into an old folks' home. Probably not a great idea. It's also known as the Miles Standish for the Mentally Disabled. It was opened in 1952 and closed in 2002. They had over 1,400 beds and 12,000 acres. It consisted of 15 dormitory buildings, and over a mile and a half of tunnels connected all of them. At some point in 1991, it was closed due to lawsuits over funding. 45 buildings were standing in 2012. So over the years, many buildings were added to accommodate the overcrowded asylum. By 2016, all of the buildings were demolished. They used it for expansion on the Miles Standish Industrial Park, but it was an asylum for the unwanted. At some point, it was used as an army camp for World War II, the main encampment being built in 1942, and was used by the army until 1948. It could accommodate 1,298 officers and 23,100 personnel. It was also a prisoner of war camp. Sorry for the scattered way of laying that out. It's just how my memory works. Back to my story. We all walked around different buildings to see if we could find anyone. We found nothing but very quiet liminal space. We noticed a security car driving our way, so we all ran and hid in bushes on our way out. The security guard stopping his car maybe 20 yards from us. We stayed silent, waiting for him to leave. But... As he was about to get back into his car, my friend Wayne got a blurt beep on his neck so like the walkie-talkie feature. What happened next was insane. We all hear the security guard pick up his neck so and say, Hello, who's there? 
all in shock and mad at Wayne as we thought he'd just got us caught, the security guard looked all around, saying he just heard his necks will go off, and the guy on the other side of the radio said, You're hearing things. Get back to the security office. You're probably just hearing ghosts. We were all lucky that Wayne had that very specific message tone, so we breathed a sigh of relief. Apparently, thanks to the history of this place, it was considered a paranormal hotspot. We didn't know anything of that when we went there. Didn't think we would catch anything. I did have an old Hi8 video camera at the time, full battery. We went in, and right before we saw the Shadow Kid, my camera died. It's very weird. And I even said at the time my camera should not have died for another few hours. I believe that there was something strange going on there, and the security was there for a reason. Maybe it's a good thing that it's gone now. But I hope you enjoyed this true story of the abandoned asylum in the Bridgewater Triangle. If you want any more of my stories, let me know. Have a good one. Encounter in the Murky Water My name is LeBron. I am 22 years old and I live in North Florida. This, I'm going to tell you, isn't about an unknown creature. But it doesn't make it any less scary for me. One day, probably around 2020, I would have been 18 at the time. And on this day, I was going to surprise my grandfather. Because a few weeks before that, he was complaining about lily pads being in his pond. It's a very small pond. You can swim across it in about 40 seconds. He was mad about it, because two particular people were staying there and didn't maintain it. I'm living there now as of seven months, but that's off topic. Anyways, I decided I would clear out the lily pads. But I had to wait a bit because he put algaecide in it to kill the algae. To be on the safe side so I wouldn't get sick from the chemicals. So that day I borrowed my grandpa's side by side and drove to the pond. It's not but a two minute drive from their house to the pond. So I arrived and I proceeded to step off the side-by-side and get into the water. I walked till the water was under my chest, and it was definitely cold, a fact that could have saved my life that day. To get used to the cold, I submerged myself in the water neck deep so my body could get used to the temperature. I did this for about a minute, stood straight up. After I got adjusted to the temperature, I was about to start pulling the lily pads out, when suddenly something rubbed against my hip. It was so strong that it was able to push me aside a bit. Instinctively, I pushed it. Immediately, I realized I made a mistake. Because what I pushed was a gator. The feeling of its back is unmistakable, something that you can't confuse with any other creature that lives in the water. The more scary part is that when I pushed, I didn't reach that far down only about six inches down from my armpit. So the thing was pretty big. For it to be rubbing against my hip and pushing it from that height? I could clearly see it. Because of the water being so murky, all I could see was a black mass beside me. It happened so fast, because when I pushed it, it didn't take me a millisecond for me to go back to land. But in the water up to my chest, I'm moving so slow. 
In a situation like this, you feel helpless, knowing that if that thing grabs you, it's over. You can't see it, but it can see you. Knowing at any moment it can grab you, you don't know if it swam off or if it's charging straight towards you. Every single millisecond, I'm screaming in my head, I'm so screwed, it's gonna grab me, it's gonna grab me, it's gonna grab me. The closer I get to land, I wasn't feeling a relief. It was pure dread and fear. The closer I got to it, the more I thought I was going to get grabbed, imagining it grabbing my leg and drowning me. Trying to think what I could do if it did. But I know I can't do much. If it grabbed me by the arm, I would have a high chance of survival. But the leg is a different story. I finally made it to land, and I kept running for about 15 feet. Looking back, only then I felt relief. No scratches, no bites, no nothing. I was very lucky. But I think that day, me being in the water so long, adjusting to the cold, made that gator think I was an object, not a person. So it just swam past me. And when I pushed it, it might have scared the gator, just as much as it scared me. Gators really aren't aggressive unless it's mama gator or it's mating season. Or they're trying to protect their territory. And gator attacks are not common, contrary to belief. I'm just glad I got out safe. Never been back in the water since. Always have high respect for animals and nature. This is something I'll always remember. It doesn't traumatize me. But I do think back on what could have happened. I know this isn't a wild story, but it's true. And it's the only scary story I have. I have had nothing like that happen before or since. Now I'm living a good life. Thank you for listening. Thanks for taking the time to join us for a few true tales. I do ever so hope you enjoyed them. If you have a story of your own to share, send it to me at eeriecast.com forward slash outdoor, where we pay three cents per word. And stop by eeriecast.com if you want to hear more scary stories from our team. If you want to hear more from me personally, go to youtube.com forward slash nature's temper. If you enjoyed the podcast today, please feel free to leave Outdoor Terrors a rating and review on Spotify and Apple. Thank you, and I'll see you monsters next time the moon is high and the fire is warm. <laughs>